Before we get to today's podcast, I want to introduce you to one of our great sponsors. You know, hurricane season is again upon us. Thousands of Floridians have not yet received fair compensation for their Hurricane Irma claims. If your claim was denied, underpaid, or assessed below your deductible, you need a free consultation with an experienced insurance attorney at the law office of Lloyd J. Heilpern. Call 561-727-3636 or contact through heilbrunlaw.com. That's H-E-I-L-B-R-U-N-N-L-A-W.com or 561-727-3636. The law office of Lloyd J. Heilbrunn handles insurance, personal injury, and wrongful death cases on a no-fee, no-cost, unless there is a recovery basis. So simply on contingency. Say that five reasons sent you. And now, on with the show. Welcome into another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. Check out the other podcasts in the Five Reasons Sports Network, Miami Heat Beat, Three Yards Per Carry, Balls Cast, and the oncoming Pitch Invasion, which will launch next Wednesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Five Reasons Sports. And today, Ethan, we are joined by yet another special guest, En Route from his job co-hosting the Dan Lebetard Show with Stu Gotts back home to Orlando, where he continues on his long trek north. Stu Gotts, appreciate the time, man. Hey, guys, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I hate this I hate this drive more than I hate anything in my life. Like, I love everything about my job. I love everything about my job with the exception of this drive. But I, listen, the second that Elon Musk builds this super train he's been talking about that gets me from Orlando to Miami in eight seconds, that's the second I moved to Orlando. That's the second it happened. All right. So one of the things that we want to start with was um, I think you and Dan have almost developed kind of an awe shucks nature about how successful and big the thing has gotten. Uh, how surprising is it for you, given where you started with the radio station? It would have been 14 years ago. And everything that's happened from the show, from you know, you know, know, being number one in afternoons in Miami, then moving to ESPN, then moving to the time slot. You guys have kind of developed almost like this, we can't believe this is happening approach to all of it. And it, I, as a consumer of the show for almost the duration of all of it, it for me is really cool that you guys have this odd humility about it that I don't think a lot of radio people have. Because we're genuinely surprised by it. I mean, all of us. Um, there was an article written recently uh, about us in Slate Magazine, and, and the writer who did a great job, Mike Schur, was, you know, he asked all of us, how did you get here? How did you arrive here? And all of us just kind of, all of us, everyone involved in the show, including Dan, uh, we just kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, we don't know. So, yeah, like if you told me this, forget about 14 years ago, Chris, if you told me this five years ago that Dan and I would have, hey, you'd replace Colin, you'd have, maybe the biggest sports show in America. That piece of real estate on ESPN Radio, 10 to 1, I don't need to tell you guys, but for the audience, that's about as valuable a piece of real estate as there is in sports radio because our show gets cleared in so many markets from a national standpoint. But, Chris, if you told me five years ago you guys are going to replace Colin Coward on ESPN, I would have laughed you out of the room. I would have said there's no way. I knew what we were doing was good. I didn't know if it would fit within – ESPN, uh, but it has. At ESPN's credit, they've kind of just let us do our show, and it's kind of cool to be anti-establishment, right? A little bit anti-establishment while being in the establishment. That's where I think this thing has really worked well for us. So, yeah, I'm shocked by it. And, I, and again, I don't know how we got here. I knew the show was doing well locally. I always knew we'd do well locally. That's why I wanted Dan to, you know, kind of help start 790 The Ticket. I guess the surprise wasn't that it was good locally. The surprise is where we've arrived at as I speak to you guys today because uh, never in my wildest dreams. Stu, let's go back to the beginning a little bit because I, I think people who are just familiar with you from doing the show maybe don't have as much awareness of how many things you did before you got to the show. I mean, I remember you and I sitting, I think, in a Hooters uh, maybe 20 years ago with Chris Chambers doing the, the Chris Chambers <laughs> hour. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. take us through a little bit kind of sort of the wandering years of Stu Gotts before you and Dan decided to, to link up on this thing. Ethan, I knew I always wanted to do this, right? I, I, I knew I always wanted to do sports since I was a teenager and since I heard WFAN, I knew I wanted to do this. Wanting to do this and actually doing it at a successful level, two very different things. So, you know, it was just hard. Like, you know, you bounce around a lot. And, and you know, I, I moved down here from New York and interned at WQAM. And they didn't have a job for me at the time. And so I moved back up to New York and had a good job and a good paying job. And 
And I got a call, you know, a year later to come produce, you know, the Hank Goldberg show, which at the time, as you guys both know, at that time, well, Chris, Chris, were you even born at that time, 1997? Were you yeah, around? Yeah, yeah, I, I was alive in 1997. Yeah, okay. Yes. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's Hank had the big one of the biggest shows in America, and and so for me, wanting to, you know, desperately be in this business to get offered the executive producing job of his show, even at four dollars, I think it was four dollars an hour at the time, maybe a little bit less. Oh my God. Yeah, it was it was it was bad, but uh, it was my big break. And so, you know, I just a discussion with my parents who have been supportive all the way through. Um, there's no way I'm here doing what I'm doing today, if not for them, because they had, you know, eventually you got to make some money. Right. And I wasn't making any, but they believed in me and they believed in what I wanted to do. So they stuck with me and and helped me out financially and, you know, emotionally and all the ways parents, you know, can help you out as I was trying to make it through. So, you know, I got that job with Hank and then like, guys, I was out of, you know, I, I bounced around, started doing weekend updates. I did a morning show on Fox Sports Radio, and I had resigned myself to, like, hey, this isn't, I'm not going to make it. This isn't going to happen the way I wanted it to happen, the way I thought it would happen. But then I had a long conversation with two very close friends of mine, Andrew Saltzman and, and Stake Shapiro, two guys up in Atlanta who had, who had done a 24-7 LMA. They never owned the station. They leased the station, 790 The Zone in Atlanta, and they kind of planted the seed in my head of maybe trying to do it down here. And so I got a group of people together. I knew this market needed another sports radio station, a younger one, a hipper one, uh, because at that time, that's when sports radio was really exploding. When you had two sports radio stations in most of the major markets, you knew it was really getting big. And so, yeah, we put together a team and we built 790 and I'll get to how Dan and I came together in a second. But Ethan, to really answer your question, there's no job I haven't done in radio. And so everyone has a different path. My path was the true traditional path, like uproot your life and your, you know, and, and, and move down to a state that you're unfamiliar with, you know, overnight board op, producing, writing copy, doing sports updates, doing weekend shows, overnight shows, getting on the air whenever I could, and then, you know, eventually, you know, getting the big break with Levitard. I can't really call it a big break. I was running the, ra- the radio station, so I just put myself in Levitard, and uh, that was probably the best decision I ever made. I wanted to ask you uh, something as it relates to working with Hank Goldberg. Uh, I've uh, been working for QAM for the last year, and sitting in one of the offices is his old Rolodex and you go through it, and it's an actually <laughs> old Rolodex that has, like, yes. Clint Eastwood's home number on it. Like, it's, it's crazy, like, how he just collected all these phone numbers over 20 years. What was it like working for him? You, you mentioned getting that experience, and uh, we, we've had uh, multiple people tweet us asking questions about working with Hank. Yeah, um, did you try that Eastwood number? Like, is, is, <laughs> no, is no, I, I didn't try it. I really should, though. <laughs> You're gonna get him on the so show this week if that? we do that. <laughs> Whittingham, I am. Yes, I am serious. I want you. I want you to call me uh, the next time you're sitting in that office. But like, is the Rolodex still there? Yeah, 100. percent It's still the whole thing. I sent it to. I sent it to Mike. I was kind of flipping through it. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't believe the number of dead people that are in it. But but Eastwood. No, no. Eastwood's number is there. But like, I figured if I call it, there's no way that's still his number, right? I don't know. I mean, it might be right. Like yeah. that's why I'm saying what I want you to do is when we hang up, I want I want to go through each contact with you, and I want to go number by number and call them and see if and see if they're still like I'd I'm be stable, happy to do that. Care. You just give me the number and I'll do the calling. Okay? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, because I mean, listen. Then all of a sudden, I have Clint Eastwood on our show tomorrow. That'd be very exciting for me and Dan. So we got to get this done, okay? <laughs> I'm at QAM on Friday, so so the, so the next time I'm there, I'll uh, I'll I'll start flipping through it. All right, take pictures of the, you know, the important, you know, ones, the ones that are still alive, and then send them to me, and I'll start calling them. All right, yeah. I mean, like, but there's, um, like, uh, there's, like, you know, Jerry Tarkanian's phone number in there, and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> what is this? Hey, wait, I guarantee you Al Davis's number has to be in there, right? <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't go through all the A's. I was kind of going through random letters, but, yeah. Uh, it's so funny, because I used to, he used to tell me to get Al on all the time. And so that's funny. Back when I was producing a show, when I, I would actually have to go to that Rolodex pull out the car, dial the number on a landline, hit one first, you know, to get out of town. And then, yeah, we would take, like, questions via fax back then. Um, so <laughs> it was fun. Listen, I learned, I learned, I learned so much from Hank. It's funny because I've had the success I'm having with Dan, and yet Hank, most of his show, especially towards the end, was about ripping Dan and every opinion mm-hmm. and, that he had and every article that, that he wrote for the Herald. But, I mean, listen, I, I would think that even Dan would tell you that we all learned a bit from Hank. First off, Hank kind of paved the way down here, right, because Hank was getting paid big, big dollars, and that kind of paved the way for the rest of us, right, for the younger guys. Like this guy, I, you know, I could actually make a living and support a family. And so, we, you know, I think we all owe kind of a thanks to Hank and some of the older school guys who, who have done this. But 
The thing about Hank, I'd be interested. Like, Ethan, I know you listen to him a lot, Chris. I have no idea mm-hmm. if you listen. I, you know, first off, his radio mechanics, just the mechanics of doing radio. He was fantastic. Opening monologues and the way he handled calls. And you may not like it. And maybe he was mean and crass and rude, but it was entertaining. And that's the job. The job is entertaining. And Hank would always tell me, you know, for better or for worse, you know, and he told me he had regrets with some of the ways he talked to and treated some callers and some guests. But the similarities between Dan and Hank, which I think would annoy Dan a little bit to know that there are actually similarities, is Hank's number one rule was, hey, we're here to entertain an audience. The audience comes first. Not the guest, not my friends. The audience comes first. And then secondly, you know, where I think he has some similarities with Dan, he was just such a great, great storyteller. And, you know, I remember being riveted by some of his stories. And he was just great. He was just a, he had a great way of painting pictures with words. And he was fantastic. And so I took a lot of that away from me interviewing style and that one rule he had that the audience comes first in this whole equation he's right and it's it's what dan and i've done our entire careers but you know i and i know he's happy for me i do and, and listen i gave me the names to god and so you know at the time i thought it was ridiculous and and now you know with each passing day less and less ridiculous and so uh yeah there's an appreciation i have for him and, and a love i have for him um and you know was he the easiest guy to work with at times no but um Certainly, there's no way I'm sitting I'm not doing this with you guys today, if not for Hank. So, you know, all the tongue sandwiches he had me order and all the stuff I had to do for him, it paid off. And so, uh, you know, at his core, man, it's funny because Hank is, is rough around the edges a bit. I think a lot of people think of him as, as a guy who's really rough around the edges. At his core, he was a very sweet, loyal, caring, nice man. So I uh, learned a lot from him, both, uh, you know, about radio and, and just about life. So good guy. Yeah, it's interesting uh, you mentioned that because as a writer during that time, I mean, you mentioned Dan got the bulk of it, but actually I would say Barry got the bulk of it. Oh, from, my God, yeah. From, yes. from, from Hank. And it's funny because Barry's found his niche over the past like four or five years where he is the news guy on everything. But I think for years, you know, Hank, I thought was really because I knew Barry and I thought Hank was really unfair to him and was to a lot of other writers. I remember a situation with me where I wrote a column after they drafted Ronnie Brown, after the Dolphins drafted Ronnie Brown, and I wrote a column like, why are you drafting a running back second overall? You know, running backs are replaceable. You slide them in, you slide them out, uh, and that's the way the league was going. And he ripped me for two weeks straight. Like, just, I mean, it just <laughs> pulled, pulled that column, just killed me for two weeks straight. Turns out I was right. I mean, that's the way that the league has moved, right? Like, running backs right. are I'm a dozen. They're not getting paid. Ronnie Brown was a fine player, but and it was a bad draft, as it turned out. But I, I ran into Hank a few years later and, as you said, was really kind to me and said he was yeah. he was happy about some of the things I was doing. So I did get the sense that a lot of that was persona. I want two things on this, though, uh, that we got. Well, from well, our, hold on, well, hold on, okay. Ethan, but hold on a second. And I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah, I think I think maybe persona. But here's the interesting thing. So he's ripping you and he's ripping back. Let's say on the front end, he was totally unfair to you because I was there. I was producing it and it was cringeworthy at times but totally unfair to you, to Barry Jackson, to Dan Levitard. I am telling you right now that there's no way I hired Dan to do afternoon drive if not for Hank. Because I said to myself, man, if Dan can drive Hank this crazy, Dan must be really, really good at what he does. And so I, I guess what I'm asking you, Ethan, is Hank talked about you and ripped you. And Hank talked about Dan and ripped him. And, and Hank was unfair and ripped Barry. And people used to tell me all the time, hey, if Neil Rogers ain't saying your name, he used to rip me all the time. But if Neil Rogers, who was on right before Hank, ain't saying your name, that means you're not relevant. So in a weird kind of twisted way, did Hank help by doing that or did he hurt by doing that? No, I think he helped, actually. I, I do think he helped. Right. I didn't see it that way at the time. I, Neil did a little with me, too. So I, I, I think and I think what's interesting about it, too, you mentioned the similarities between Dan and Hank, and they could not be more dissimilar in a lot of ways. But even the two shows, if you look at them, I mean, Hank's show was so caller driven, right? Even if he was hanging up on them in, in the first five seconds. And you guys went totally the other direction, whereas early in your show, you did have callers, but you kind of made them play by your rules. And then you basically decided what I think Whittingham and I decided after you and when we took over Afternoon Drive for a period of time that like we could do without the callers, really. Like that was that was a direction we didn't want to take it. So I do think it's interesting that he influenced a lot of different people. But at the same time, people started doing shows that were very different from the show that he did. Yeah, there's no question about it. I don't know if that started with us, if that came before us, uh, but yes. And I think the whole format just kind of evolved and changed a little bit and, and social media and texting and all that stuff kind of 
at least for us, replaced the callers. Um, but you're right, Ethan, because at the time, Hank was doing these standard sports radio shows, the show that you were supposed to do. But all the stuff evolves, right? Like, it was Mike and Chris and Hank. We all set out to be Mike and Chris and, and Hank Goldberg and guys like that. And then at least I realized that, hey, it'd be more profitable and better for my career to stop trying to be Chris Russo and start mocking Chris Russo. So it's kind of interesting how that turned. But yes, the, the way we communicate with listeners is, has completely changed from what Hank was doing. It's just evolved. It's evolved in a good way. But here's the thing. Here's the place where I think it's evolved and it's, and it's interesting to me, where Ethan, you and Barry and Dan, you got tired of being the content for sports radio stations and you just decided to deliver the content yourselves on the radio. It's like your articles, your newspapers, your personas, that was all content for Hank and all the guys there. And you guys, you know, I remember talking to Dan when I tried to convince him to do radio and it wasn't that hard to convince him. He was ready to go. I was like, hey, rather than be someone else's content, be your own content. And he was like, yeah, that's smart. Let's go do this. I want to get to a couple of things that, that people on Twitter came up with here. Uh, first thing, could you tell the story of how he named you Stu Gatz? Because I think a lot of people maybe who were just caught on to you the last five years might not know. Yeah, so I always screw up the order in which this was done. It, it was very early on in producing Hank's show. So I'm thinking like 98, 99-ish. I had told them that Santana Moss was coming on the show. In actuality, it was Reggie Wayne. I believe that's it. I believe I have it right there. And so he promoted one guy the, the entire show, and I had questions for him for one guy. And then when the hotline rang, it turned out being a different Miami Hurricane wide receiver, and, and Hank was mad, uh, rightfully so, by the way. How great is it, by the way, that a college program had, oh, no, no, it's not the 10-year NFL pro, it's the te- the other 10-year NFL pro that they had in their house. I know. It's incredible. I know. And listen, it could have been one of, like, five. I, right, I, I exactly. I can't remember, can't remember exactly. Uh, I just know it was the wrong one. Okay? Right, exactly. So he's promoting, he's promoting the wrong receiver. He's got a list of questions that have nothing to do with the guy that he's having on. And the guy calls in, I tell him it ain't Santana, it's someone else. And he gives me, you know, a look that unless you know Hank or have worked for Hank, you know the look. It's the look your dad gives you when, when he's really, he doesn't need to say anything. He's just looking <laughs> right through you, you know? Yeah. And so, like, right, but Hank being the professional that he was, he was a great interview. He really was. So he got through it like a pro, like a true pro. It was a great interview. But And right afterwards, he said to me, so this is right around when the Sopranos came out, was hot, was big, big TV show going at the time. And he said, are you familiar with the term? He said, John, come to the microphone. I said, yeah. He goes, are you familiar with the term Stugat? And I said, I am not. And he goes, get yourself familiar with it during the break. And I said, okay, why? And he said, when we come back from break, I want you to tell the audience what it means. And I want you to know that that's going to be your nickname moving forward forevermore. And when you find out what it means, based on what just happened with that interview, you will know why. And so yeah, we went to break. I teased it. We went to break. I looked it up. I realized what it meant and then uh, came back. I said, Hank, if I tell the audience what it means, we're going to lose our license. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then that was it. Like he said, oh, well, that's your name. And, and we're, we're going forward with it. And so, you know, he had his way of saying it. And so, you know, I thought to myself at the time, like, man, I'm never going to make it with a name like this in this business. Like, No one's going to take me seriously. Now, that was at a time where I still wanted to be taken seriously. Now I don't care. The name fits perfectly. But it's just uh, it's something that has really served me well. And when I saw him recently down at uh, the uh, thing that Greg and Dan did for Edwin Pope, Ethan, when I saw him there, Mm. he gave me a big hug. And I said, I said, hey, thanks for giving me this name. And he goes, you've really run with it. Congratulations. So kind of a cool moment. But that's how I got the nickname. And uh, it stuck. And I remember Dan and I first started the show, guys. Chris, I think you and I have discussed it before. Dan was like, you want to change the name. Let's change the name. Not because Dan wanted to, because maybe I wanted to, because I had some concerns about being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And we put it out to the audience, and they were like, nope, no way, no how, ain't happening. He's to God's, he's to God's forever. So the audience did not want it. Therefore, I just stayed with it and rolled with it. And the second question I was going to ask you, but I, I think it plays into what you were talking about there. What What is the craziest that you've ever seen Hank get at you? Was it that moment? or was Because you say he just sort of gave you that stern look but was there another time that he got really angry at you for something that you did you know what there was he was doing some sort of thing where he was taking faxes and he was like you were supposed to fax in a joke and i handed him a joke that was highly insensitive and i didn't read it before i handed it to him which is like executive producer 101 stuff and he almost he was halfway through the sentence before he before he saved himself from saying it. And, and I apologize because I don't remember the exact topic that we were on, but that's how we used to do it back in 1998. Hey, top 20, whatever, give us you know, whatever we were doing. He was soliciting suggestions through facts. Okay. Like faxing people faxing in their suggestions, but I handed him one that was insensitive. I didn't read it. Shame on me. 
he caught himself before he got through the end of the sentence. But I am telling you, when we went to commercial break, he walked me into Greg Reed's office. And Greg Reed at the time was the guy who ran that radio station. And I'm always, guys, I thought I lost. I was gone for the day. He had taken me off the air for the day, and I thought I had lost my job. So I don't remember exactly what it was, but I know it was a pretty colossal mistake. We'll carry on with Stu Gotts, but first, a word from our sponsor. Every sport needs a team. Same as in business. That's why more small to mid-sized businesses in South Florida are choosing Greenlight Tech, the full-service concierge IT company that gets it right. Greenlight Tech advises, monitors, supports, and keeps your important data backed up and secure. They'll even message your vendors. Call Greenlight Tech at 561-352-9997. That's 561-352-9997. Mention this ad and get a free assessment. Sign up and your first month is free. Greenlight Tech, be unstoppable. Visit greenlighttek.com. And now, back to Stugatz. Let's move on to sort of the more modern era with the Levitard show. A few questions from my point of view. First off, you kind of mentioned the conversations you would have with Dan, but I think a lot of listeners who are kind of sort of in the ESPN era of the show don't maybe know the origins of it or some of the history behind it. So in terms of how it came together, in terms of how the show progressed, then hot coming in and kind of changing the dynamic, what are your sort of memories from that time? Man, interesting. Uh, The whole spectrum. To be honest with you, because um, exciting because new station, new show, nervous working with someone like Dan, nervous because the show wasn't very good at the beginning. But uh, to give people like just, you know, just a history on it. Like, I, listen, when we started this radio station, or at least when when I put the blueprint down to start 790, like to me, there was no there was no point of starting it without having two guys on the station. One was was having Joe Rose in the morning. Strictly, I should say strictly. Joe's content is is very good. He's been doing this a long time, but he gives you that that dolphin feel. And then, I mean, you know, no one sells more in this market than on the radio than Joe Rose. And so that was that was important to me. And then to set out to be what I wanted to be or what we wanted to be, which was younger, hipper, different. Yeah, I knew I wanted Levitard. And I, like to me, I remember telling the four other guys, to me, it's pointless to start the station unless Dan commits. And so. Uh, Joe committed, and that was great, and, and Dan committed as well. Um, I think Dan liked the feeling of – you guys know Dan very well at this point. He likes that kind of underdog feeling, like, hey, that station's been bullying me for a long time. Let's go take it down, you know? Um, I think Dan kind of – let's, let's, let's put the guy – the guy who's been bashing me, Hank, for, for, for so many years, let's go put him out of business, and which we eventually – yeah, I think we, we kind of did. But I went to Dan and, and Boob Shambi, who does uh, who obviously big in our market and now is voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio. You know, Dan and I didn't know each other. I was a good friend of Boob. Dan was a good friend of Boob. He connected us. I met Dan at a Starbucks with the intention of seeing if Dan wanted to do afternoon drives by himself. Dan said yes. And, uh, you know, we had a nice conversation. I just told him, like, listen, I know through Boog and just from, you know, talking to you the couple of times leading up to until that meeting, like, there's a really, really fun, funny, caring, loyal individual inside of there that doesn't come out in print. Ethan, you would know that just doesn't come out in print in in a way that it comes out in a way that it can come out in radio. And I just, I remember telling him how great I thought he was going to be at this. And, um, and he wasn't apprehensive at all. He was good. He was, he was like, yeah, let's go. This sounds fun. This sounds cool. Let's do it. And so I was excited. I had, I had a commitment from Joe Rose. I had a commitment from Dan and, um, you know, I just, I remember him calling me. And so the way the original lineup was going to be, guys, Joe in the morning and me and Dan Patrick in the middays, meaning me two hours, Dan Patrick for, I think, three hours at a time in the middays, and then Levitard by himself in the afternoons. And Dan calls me a week before we're going to launch at the Orange Bowl. That's where we did our, our press release, our launch. And um, he said, hey, listen, I still want to do the show. I just don't want to do it alone. And I said, okay, tell me what you want to do. And he said, uh, I, you know, I want to co-host, but I'm very picky about who I work with. And so he said, I want Boog. But Boog was unavailable at the time because he was working at QAM. So we couldn't have that. And, and uh, Boog just couldn't do it. And I, I, I often wondered to myself what that show would have been like. I don't know. I don't know. I think it would have been great, but I have no idea. I just would have loved to hear those two kind of do a show for a prolonged period of time because they're both so smart and funny. But Dan said, listen, I spoke to Boog. I trust Boog. He, you know, he told me you're the guy. Like, let's do it. Let's go. Let's do it together. I said, Dan, I'm scheduled to do middays, plus I'm the general manager of the radio station. And he said, listen, I'm telling you, basically, you know, either you're doing it with me or I ain't doing it. And so I, we sat down. You know, I said, listen, if that's what it's going to take, that's what it's going to take. I'll find a midday show, which I did. And I ended up doing the show with Dan. And so I remember how stressed out I was at the time. 
But now armed with hindsight, 15 years later, it's the best ball I ever got. Like Dan being a little apprehensive about doing it with himself was the best ball I ever got because I'm sitting here doing it with him now 15 years later at ESPN, which is, which is insane. But real quick, on the beginning, guys, it was awful. Like it was dreadful. It was terrible. And I think that's, you know, going back to the beginning of this interview, Chris, I think that's probably why when we say we don't know how we got here, we truly don't. Like we felt lost at the beginning and we had Greg Reed at QAM running the station, you know, being quoted in the Herald, calling us sissy boy radio. Everyone kind of mocking the show because the show was so unconventional. But um, it was also bad. Like, it was really bad at the beginning. I was interviewing Dan for three hours a day. I didn't know him or four hours a day. And then Boo kind of intervened and said, listen, I think Dan needs to drive the show. And, and Stigat just go be Stigat. And I think from that moment on, I think Boo kind of intervening there. And then the hiring of Mark Hockman, I think, is really what took the show to – Hawk's imprint is still on the show till this day. You guys know Hawk well enough and you know the show well enough that you can hear – until this day, just the impact that he's made on our show. But I will tell you the thing, the two things that really kind of set us in motion. It was Dan ultimately driving the show so he could decide the topics. It was his vision behind the show, and I just kind of followed, followed along. And then the hiring of Mark Cochran, who Dan came to me and just said, listen, he's one of my best friends. He knows the music I like. He knows everything about me. It's going to be great. He's a radio guy. Trust me. Trust me on this. And, and I did. And I, and I will tell you that Hawk was, you know, his imprint still on the show and he's as big a part of it, especially in the early, uh, early phases of it as anyone. Uh, he really, he really kind of shaped and molded it the way Dan wanted it. And I don't think anyone else could have done that because no one really knew what Dan wanted, but Hawk did. And they didn't have to talk about it. Hawk just knew. What's interesting about this to me is I'm coming at it from a, the other perspective, Stu, because I was in newspapers at the time, and you're talking 15 years ago. So this was basically, what, 2003, right, roughly, is when you yeah. guys launched it? I was at the Herald in, in 2001 and 2002 with Dan before I left for the Sentinel in 2003. And I don't think people who listen to your show now realize where Dan was in the pecking order of writers in this country when right. he decided to go the direction of radio. And in fact, at the time... We were disappointed, like, because when I was at the Herald, I would file a story. I was covering, I went to the Herald to cover the Dolphins first, and then I switched to the Heat. And the first thing that I would do, because we had a system at the Herald where you would file your story, and then you could see everybody else's stories. So the first thing that I would do after I filed my story was, what did Dan write tonight? Because I would get to see it before everybody else. Because at the time, we weren't posting it on the internet right away. It was waiting for the next morning. And so it was, what did Dan write about? And why didn't I write that? Like, that was basically uh, <laughs> the feeling every single night. Because he, he was lapping the competition by such a large degree. I mean, he was in everybody's limo, basically. Like, right, after the 97 World Series. Or you take a look at the Zoe Tim teams with the Heat that I don't think people recognize sort of where he was as a writer. And the other thing on it, you mentioned about why you thought he would be good and that people would relate to him. I think the people don't really understand about Dan, and I think they get a sense of it from what you guys have developed with your show and the roles that guys like Billy, who we had on our podcast, or Mike Ryan and others have stepped into, is how much Dan takes care of the people around him. And I always credit Edwin Pope for that because Edwin was that way with him, and I I witnessed that and was on a lot of road trips with both of them and saw how Edwin, who was, as you know, a legend in this town and and really, you know, was the guy down here for 20 years, I mean, during the, the undefeated Dolphins teams and all that, and that Dan emerged as this force as a writer, and Edwin was so gracious about that, you know, in terms of giving Dan his space to kind of be the voice of the Herald eventually. Because, again, Edwin was one of the top five to ten columnists in the country, newspaper columnists. And yet when sure. Dan emerged, Edwin was so gracious about it. And and if you look at what Dan has done with others in the market, multiple generations of people, like the generation— I'm, I'm one of them. Like, I'm right. 100% I, one like, of them. Yes. You're, you're, like, you're like second generation in that because it was it was sort of our— our generation was like, you know, Sedano and me and Israel. I mean, it kind of crossed newspapers and radio. And then, as you said, a second generation of people like Chris and others who, you know, 15, 20 years younger. And Dan is always checking up on those people. When Chris and I actually it was Israel and I first, when we started the radio show in your slot, Dan would call me constantly or text me to you know, say, hey, have you thought about doing it this way or that way? 
And again, as busy as he is, it's not something you would think he would do. So I do think that as disappointed as we were, because we we're like, he's going to write less now. And that's ultimately what ended up happening because he was writing for the Herald. He was writing for ESPN magazine. And then he started writing less. You know, what is he doing? He's going to do radio. We kind of looked at it as sort of, I guess, the easy way out at the time, because we always thought newspapers were. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Miami Heat. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Well, this is the, you know, you got to file by a deadline and you've got this many articles to write a week. Like this is very snobby attitude in the newspaper business at that time. Like, why is he doing radio? Like what, you know, what does he do want to do with radio? But I always did think he would be good at it because I thought he would be really good in that forum. Well, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. First off on Edwin. Yeah. He learned a lot from Edwin. I mean, learned a lot. And so he's starting to kind of, I guess, for lack of a better term, pay that forward, right? Like the things he learned from Edwin and Greg Cody, by the way, because he'll, He'll tell you, Dan will be the first one to tell you, Greg Cody treated him the same way. Greg Cody's a bit older, and him and Edwin together, Cody and Edwin together, really embraced Dan and took him under under his wing. And I guess, listen, right, when you're confident in something, you, you don't mind, like, stepping aside of it. Like, Edwin Pope, Ethan, as you said, he's a top five columnist in the country, so he's making a little room for Dan, but because he's confident, he knows how good he is, and Dan knows how good he is at this. And so making room for others is, is an easy thing for Dan to do. But I, like you guys, I marvel. Until this day, man, 15 years I've been doing the show with Dan. And he still checks up on me on these smallest things, these smallest things. Like maybe he stepped over a line on the show with one of the jokes he made about me and he'll check up on me like two hours later. And I'm just, I'll respond to him 15 years in, you're still doing this. Like I'm good. Relax. (laughs) And, um, but that's just his way. His way is the right way. I've learned a lot, believe it or not from Dan, just like how to live your life away from, from what it is that, that we do. And Lord knows I have a ways to go before I get to him, but he's definitely, he knows this. He's, he's definitely, um, he's definitely taught me a lot. So it's, it's really cool to see, but, but Ethan, I find that part interesting. Like, did you guys feel like Dan was, Dan will say that he loves writing, right? It's, 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 mm-hmm. his, it's his passion. He's great at it. But he'll always say, he also saw like the newspapers dying a slow death. Right. Yep. And so that's interesting. Did you guys feel like he sold out? Because that's this no. is the first I'm hearing of that. And so that's an interesting no, I think I, I, and I don't blame you, by the way. I understand yeah. why you'd be, hey, here's our guy. Here's one of our leaders in the industry, and he's leaving this industry to go do sports radio. Yeah, I don't think it was selling out, but I, I think, I just think it was like sort of quiet disappointment on it because uh, you just thought he'd be writing less. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I looked forward to what, because the thing about Dan was he made writing look so easy. And it's, yes. it's not. And I can speak to that with the troubles I've had over the past year and a half with it. I mean, it's it's just not. And, you know, he, he just made it look really simple. And again, when you were covering big events around him, because he was still working big events, right, even when he was doing the radio show and he scaled back at the Herald. But you look at the yep. 2006 finals, you know, and one of the things that we would have a frustration is like I'd be around a team all year and I would develop relationships with players on the team. But then when push came to shove, and Dwayne's on the golf cart, you know, going from the podium back to the locker room. Dan's on the golf cart with him, you know, and it's just like, yep. OK, I spent all year developing a relationship with Dwayne and Dan <laughs> showed up three times. OK, and he's on the damn golf cart. So he just made that stuff seem really easy. And, you know, we had a good run in this town for a period of time. I mean, the Marlins had a championship. The Heat had a really good run with Zoe and Tim and that team. And then obviously building with Shaq. And and so, you know, during that period of time he was 
you know, he would pop in at these events and, and just sort of write something that was, again, like Pat Riley spilling his guts out. And you're like, how does he do that? And so I think it was more, I don't think it was a sellout kind of thing. I just think it was, you know, how could somebody who's this good at this just decide, I don't really want to do it that often anymore. I know he used to talk about how it was harder than anything else he had to do. Right, right, right. But well, that's about it, but, but it stop right easy there. No, but he didn't stop right there. Harder and lonelier, too. Because, yeah, but stop right there because he talks often about how, uh, by the way, did he wink at you, like a little smile wink as he's gone on the golf cart with Dwayne Wade? <laughs> like anything? Was there anything there? Because I definitely would have done that to you. A raise of the eyebrow? <laughs> I, no. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nah, he, like, he, hey, I just strolled. <laughs> hey, you've been working that relationship all year. He strolled Levitt parties on the golf right. course. Well, that, well, that's what it. That's what it was like. I mean, t- to a certain degree. I mean, kind of, uh, kind of the way that it happens with national guys now, right? Like, there's, there's a, yeah, a, totally. a handful of national guys. But it wasn't the news breaking with him. It was sort of. I don't know. This is a weird term, but the emotion breaking. Like he was able to put you in Pat Riley's office, crying, yes. crying Detail. about crying about Zoe and, and whether or not he could go out and address the team after they lost to the Knicks again. And that was the kind of stuff, the way that I wrote, that I tried to emulate, and it was just really challenging to do that because no matter how well you did it, he did it better. And he did it better, even, again, even though he wasn't around all the time. And that was the only thing when we thought, okay, he's got this gift, which is just ridiculous for those of us who came up the journalism route, like how he's able to accomplish that. And he's basically just putting it aside to go be silly on the radio. And I, I think that at first is well, was kind of the perception of it. Yeah. So first off, it's like in the details, like, you know, just reading him for all those years, like the details are just, are just amazing. You're right. I think Dan's biggest strength though, guys, and, and this should not be understated. Like I always tell Dan, Dan and I talk all the time, like, Hey, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? And I think he'd be a psychologist. I really do. Um, and I think he thinks that Dan has, an amazing ability to get you to open up about things that you normally wouldn't open up about. I, Ethan, I know he's done it with you. Because I know he has. I know he's done it with me, Chris. I have no idea if he's done it with you, but I talk about things with Dan that I haven't talked about with anyone in my entire life because he's just, there's just a comforting feeling and he has a, a way about him that makes you feel relaxed in front of him and, and you trust him. You trust that whatever you're going to tell him is going to stay right there. And it ain't going to go any further. And so, but I think what he realized, Ethan, is, and we, and we were kind of, you know, alluding to it earlier, he always says it's really lonely, it's really dark, it's really hard, he locks himself in a room, it ain't fun. And I think he realized, hey, I could still get all these same opinions out there on the radio and have some fun with my friends and have some fun with this community around, you know, in South Florida, Miami, and eventually the community that grew around our show. And so, I think he viewed it as, listen, I, I, you know, I can write when I want. I could swoop in and, and nuke Ethan's relationship with Dwayne Wade just by walking into the arena whenever I feel like it. And but, so I could still write. I'm not going to write as much. I'm going to try this radio thing, and I'm going to get all my opinions out there the way I want them out there. But I'm also going to laugh and have some fun with friends and family and stuff like that. So I just think he found he saw something where he could have the best of both worlds, if that kind of makes sense. I could be serious. And that's our show, right? He's great with the serious stuff. I still, for my money, he's still as good as anyone when it comes to, you know, the social commentary and and talking about race and all the serious stuff. And then, you know, you know, we get you into the tent, as he likes to say, with the circus stuff. And so you'll stay around for the serious stuff. So I think he just found something that kind of gave him the best of both worlds. Because we all know Dan. Dan likes to laugh and Dan likes to have fun. You just can't do that in print. We'll get back to Stugatz in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor, Space Wolf. Space Wolf is the company we at Five Reasons have been working with to get our podcast sold. If you have a business and want to get into business with us, SpaceWolf.com. If you have a business and want to use your space as a vehicle for other businesses to advertise, SpaceWolf.com. If you don't own a business, but don't mind wearing a logo or texting a friend for some money, SpaceWolf.com. SpaceWolf is a one-stop shop for advertising space. Visit SpaceWolf.com to buy and sell ad space for as little as $3 per day. SpaceWolf.com. And now, back to Stugatz. I I, want to ask you, though, and Ethan, I think, characterized what was the feeling at the time, which was, and and you mentioned earlier the quote uh, that was in the newspapers about, you know, you guys being the silly, you know, sissy boy talk and that it wasn't serious sports. And I feel like, and this might be hyperbolic or or, it might not be, might be the correct characterization of it, but you guys have, for me, 
totally changed the way that radio is done, period, and in this market in particular, by virtue of having a laugh, by virtue of having it be light and loose. When did you guys finally give up? Not not give up, because I, I feel like maybe for you it was giving up, for Dan it was finally doing what he wanted to do, but stop trying to fight against the resistance of this needs to be serious sports talk and we need to take this seriously instead of let's have some fun, let's have some laughs and stop trying to be taken so seriously. Oh man. Uh, like a few years in, like I, I, I fought it for a while. Um, there was a time when Greg Reed said that quote, sissy boy radio. I think I agree with him. <laughs> you know, I'm doing the show. I was like, there were, there were many times I walked out of there. Like what the hell are we doing? Just cause it was such a left turn from what everyone else is doing. But, Dan's great. He just said, trust me, trust me. And just be a little bit different. Different's good. Be a, and it's not hard to be different in our industry, guys, right? Like, no, it's just not. not that hard because, yeah, because so much of it sounds, all right, opening monologue, play the hits, take some phone calls, do an interview, see you later. And I thought, listen, that's what I wanted to do. And, and so I think, you know, I think like three or four years, you know, kind of into I think Hawk really, really helped in that regard, getting me to a comfortable place. I think just the natural – like Dan says this all the time, and it's the truth. Because of the nature of how we did it and, you know, starting 790 from scratch, we were given the time, and many shows are not. I mean, look what did you have in WFAN, the new afternoon show. They had, you know, 90 days to succeed, and then the old guy comes back in. What Dan and I had was we had the luxury of being of time and the luxury of being able to fail and find our footing. And so um, that was really helpful to both of us, to the entire show. I think once I fully understood and embraced maybe four or five years in what Dan and Hawk really wanted out of me and wanted us to do as a show, uh, once I embraced all of that and stopped trying to be the next Chris Russo, and as I said earlier, just start mocking Chris Russo, I think it's when the show really, it's when my career took off. I think it's when the show really took off as a whole only from the standpoint of we were all finally on the same page uh, going in the same direction and I wasn't fighting it anymore. And I think that was important for all of us because we always had those tensions in the show where Dan wanted to go this way. And I felt like, no, we had to talk. Oh, it's a Monday. We got to talk dolphin football. When in actuality, you don't, you just need to be entertaining. And so um, I think once I realized that, Hey, it's not, it's not so much about, what you talk about and when you talk about it, and there's no rhyme or reason. Dolphins don't have to be talked about on Monday. Once I realized that, I think it took off for me. And, and the other thing I always say is, guys, there's a million people driving around in their car. I don't care what anyone says. They know more sports than we do. Okay? And so, like, we're just, we just have a platform. And not taking myself so seriously. And, and that starts with Dan, right? When you see a guy like Dan of his stature not taking himself seriously, it's pretty easy for everyone else involved in the show to not take themselves so seriously. I fought it for a while, but once I let it go, I think everything took off for all of us. Stu, I think there was a pivot point, too, that I wanted to get into with you, because you mentioned the influence that Hawk had on the show, and then Hawk leaves to do his own show, and actually against you yep. guys uh, for a period of time, and then another guy that kind of came up, George ended up taking that slot against you guys, too, a, a couple of years after that. It has seemed like over the past, that there was sort of a point where the show became more about you than it had been before. Um, <laughs> what was, I think it's the nicest way I could put it. Yeah. How did that happen like is that something that dan suggested or is that something that it just sort of evolved was that by listener input or anything like that but was it when hawk left or did that have a lot to do with it or, or what was sort of the evolution of that no i think i think i think hawk helped build it i think hawk helped build the character and then hawk and i would play off of each other so well and, and like like if you go back to the early stage you look at the show now and then go back to the early stages right there's always it's always great Poking and annoying Dan is always fun, right? The audience loves that. It's maybe when our show is at its best. And so at the beginning, it was me and Hawk doing that to Dan. And then to a lesser extent, it's me and Mike Ryan or me and Guillermo. And certainly on Tuesdays, it's me and Greg Cody now. And so I think, I think it's a little bit of everything you kind of put there. It's like the show did become, for me, the show's always about Dan. It starts and ends with Dan. Like there's, I don't exist and I can't succeed unless there's the big, Incredible journalist sitting in the middle of this entire circus, right? Otherwise, it doesn't work. It's just a circus if you don't have Dan in there, and um, and that doesn't that that's not going to work with any sort of you know sustained longevity. Like it's just it's it's not a good recipe. So having him there, you know, this pillar of journalism and credibility, and he uses all that stuff, and and then to have this circus swirling around him is what really works. But Hawk helped develop it, and then Mike Ryan and Billy and those guys just really helped take it to a whole new level but i think what dan realized guys he's super smart i don't need to tell you this he is super super smart but he realized 
hey, I represent the minority, Dan. And this guy over to my left, he represents the caveman, you know, the, the majority. He represents sports fans. This is how, you know, one day, one drive, your quarterback's the best quarterback in the NFL, and the next drive, he throws an interception, you're cursing his name on your couch. And that's the way, that's the way I watch sports, always have, always will. And I care about him still to this day. Like the second I stop caring about sports, man, that's going to be bad for our show. And so I care about him in a way that I don't think Dan ever will. He's not a fan. He's just not a sports fan. He doesn't have teams that he's rooting for. And he doesn't get emotional about it. I do. And I think Dan realized, yeah, for all this to work, like I have minority viewpoints. People don't agree with me. I zig when everyone else is zagging. This guy represents the majority. I got to lean on him more. And and so, yeah, I I felt it as it was happening. Uh, But I think it's a credit to to Hawk, to Dan, to Mike, to Guillermo, and then, you know, just a little bit to myself for just letting it go, like letting the serious, I want to be serious sports guy with serious sports opinion, just letting that part of it go. And now we've arrived at a point where, and I love this, like to me, it's the biggest compliment. Will Kane, who does the afternoons on ESPN, was making a point about Chris Paul and whether or not he should be considered one of the great point guards of all time because he doesn't, he's never made it to a conference final. This is going back a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, he's in the conference finals right now. And I guess his producer came on and said, hey, you know, Stu feels this way. And Will Kane said, yeah, but I don't know if he's serious or not. <laughs> and so, right, I love that because sometimes I am serious and sometimes I'm not. But I love that the audience and other hosts are guessing which takes I'm serious <laughs> about and which ones I'm kind of spoofing on because now it's so over the top. Like, I'm almost spoofing myself at this point, which is, which is a really <laughs> funny place to arrive And that at. is yeah. a seamless transition into what we wanted to close the podcast with. And that is your serious, maybe not serious, fiery hot takes that you have oh, about boy. various characters in the world of sports, entertainment, and otherwise. And so we're just going to do this rapid fire where you're, I'm okay. going to name a name and you're just going to go. And I, I, it's the part of the pod I've been looking forward to the most. You mentioned at the very beginning about how you want him to change your life for the better and you feel like he's not doing it quickly enough, and that is Elon Musk. I mean, listen, sir, I, I am telling you guys right now, and I've been on this for about a year now, and it's funny to see that everyone else is starting to catch up, okay? Because Elon Musk, it is, he's a quack. I'm telling you, he is all talk and no action. He's talked about building super trains from Orlando down to Miami that would get me here in six minutes. He's talked about this. He's talked about that. He's going to build a community on Mars. He's going to fly people to Mars. We're going to take vacations on Mars. Let me tell you exactly what hasn't happened. No one has been on this super train yet, and no one's been on a vacation to Mars. Because all Elon Musk likes to do is talk, but he never delivers. He never backs it up with anything tangible. It's just ideas that a billionaire throws out there. It moves his stock up. It moves his stock down. He doesn't care about the people who have invested in his company. He pleads with them all the time on social media. Doesn't care if they lose money. Listen, he can lose $2 billion in a day. It doesn't matter to him. He's worth $50 billion. But other people who have invested in this guy and believe in this guy, you know, he's toying with their emotions and their wallets. And for me... He's just like, seriously, he's a phony. Like, do me a favor. If you talk about a train that's going to get me from Orlando to Miami in three minutes, then build the damn train and stop talking about it. Kevin Durant. Uh, doesn't have any championships, period. End of discussion. I don't care how many he wins with Golden State. He will never have a championship in my personal record book. The way I grew up watching sports, and I don't care. Here's the funny thing about the Durant take. Ethan agrees with me. I don't care what he says, okay? Ethan, let the journalist stuff go, okay? Because if you grew up, think about this. Growing up, if Michael Jordan, who couldn't beat the Detroit Pistons, left the Bulls, rather than come back and try again with Pippen and Horace Grant and all these guys, he left the Bulls and joined Isaiah Thomas, Joe uh, Dumars, and the Pistons, you would have crushed him at the time. And that's what Kevin Durant did. He couldn't beat Golden State by himself. Eventually, he would have. I don't know what he was thinking. But up 3-1 Western Conference Finals with one of the top 10 players in the world and a guy who would go on to win an MVP after he left, for him to be up 3-1 below that series, he was awful in games five and six, just awful, played good in game seven, awful in game five or six. And rather than come back and try again with his teammates, he decides to join the team he couldn't beat himself. He should be ashamed of himself. I'm serious. And no rings. I, as, as, he would five rings with the Warriors, and none of them will count in my personal record book. He's going to have to leave Golden State, go to another team, and win a champion, a team that doesn't have LeBron on it, by the way, win a championship there, and then I'll give him a championship ring. Other than that, he's got none, and he'll never have any. Ethan, do you right, agree so, with him? Well, Stu, yes, let me throw does. this back. Let me th- I, I kind of do, <laughs> he, but let me throw this at you, he though. Doesn't, he doesn't even get to have a say in the matter. Ethan, do you agree with him? He's just telling me I agree with him. I will agree with <laughs> him, does. Stu, but I want to I throw this at you. So let's say so LeBron So do you, gets- Whittingham. <laughs> 
let's let's say this, Stu. Let's say that uh, we're as we're talking now, uh, LeBron's preparing for Game Two of the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's say Houston beats Golden State. Don't think that's going to happen. But one of the places that LeBron is considering, based on a lot of the information that I've got, is Houston. It's basically Houston, Philadelphia, with the Lakers as a dark horse. If Cleveland loses to Houston in the finals and LeBron joins Houston, you feel the same way? Meaning, does LeBron get a ring? You're asking me if LeBron loses here to the Rockets and then goes over to Houston, joins them, and then they end up winning a championship there. Will LeBron get a ring? Yes. Yes, he will get a ring. because he's Yes, because he has won rings in Miami and in Cleveland. Okay, so he's already won his ring. Kevin Durant didn't have a ring before he went to Golden State. LeBron already had his rings. Okay, so he's won two, obviously, in Miami, and then he won one in Cleveland. So, therefore, LeBron is fine. Like he is, he, LeBron can do whatever he wants moving forward here. He has rings. I will tell you this, though. If that plays out, if Houston loses here to Golden State or in the NBA Finals, and then LeBron joins that team, and it's LeBron, James Harden, and Chris Paul, LeBron will get a ring. James Harden will not. Chris Paul certainly will not. How about that? (laughs) All right, the fake ace, Matt Harvey. I'm not even mad at Matt Harvey. It's the Mets I'm mad at because they don't listen. I I would call media relations guys, and I'd be like, hey, pass this along to your GM, trade Matt Harvey. (laughs) And they'd be like, what are you talking about? No, I was. I would call them off air. Like, Levitor would look at me like a nut, and I, I would call them Jay Horowitz and these guys, and then leave them voicemails. Like, you got to trade Harvey. It's bad news. He's bad news. That guy's bad news. Trade him now. And so what, my frustration with Matt Harvey is there's so much potential, so much potential, so much potential. But you could see, at least I did early on, he didn't care about baseball the way you wanted him to care about baseball. And pitching's a very funny thing, right? And so, like, because he was just out partying all the time. He was on page six all the time. And so – I just, I remember saying it, like, and then he wasn't pitching very well. And then he got hurt, and then he would miss meetings, and he'd be late to a postseason, you know, you know, meeting before a game where he had to start that day. And it was just, it was just a disaster. And I remember just, you know, saying it on the radio. Listen, we like to think that we actually have influence over these teams. I'm here to tell you that none of us have any influence <laughs> over any of these teams. But I actually thought at the time it could make a difference. If I said it loud enough and I said it, said it enough times, I can get Matt Harvey traded. But if you think back to it, I was right, because at that time, three or four years ago, if the Mets put Matt Harvey on the trading block, they literally could have gotten anyone in the big form, with the exception of maybe a handful of guys. Now they're getting Devin Morosco, whatever his name is, a backup catcher for the, for the Reds. So I'm really not mad at Harvey. I knew what Harvey was a long time ago. I'm mad at the Mets for not listening to me. All right, uh, next one for you. Art Bryles. Uh, you can go to hell. <laughs> okay. Sister Jean. What bothers me about Sister Jean is the Stugats is strong in Sister Jean. That's what... What, what I have learned, uh, what I have learned over time is sometimes I look in the mirror and I don't like what's staring back at me. Um, and so some, somehow, Sister Jean, I just don't get it. She did nothing. She had nothing to do with the story, Sister Jean. And yet she became the story of the NCAA tournament. And that's a shame for the kids at Loyola Chicago and really for the NCAA tournament. It's an indictment on the entire tournament. When Sister Jean becomes the story of what many consider to be the best three weeks on the sports calendar every year, that we could we don't have enough interest in any of the teams that are playing anymore because all these guys they come for a year, they come for two, they leave. We don't know they're all interchangeable. No one knows any of their names. We don't know anything about these guys. And so someone like Sister Jean becomes the story of March Madness. And to me, that's absurd. And what I really didn't like is that she she, Sister Jean, stole a lot of the thunder away from those players. That story should have been about the players on that team and the coach of that team, not about a fan who's hanging around the team, you know, giving them blessings and all that stuff. It's just an absolute – it's a great job by Sister Jean making herself the story, yet it infuriates me that she made herself the story because I couldn't figure out a way to make – how to make myself the story during NCAA March Madness. Like, that's ridiculous. All right, all right, one last one. I'm only one. mad at her because she thought of it first. I mean, jeez. <laughs> You need you need to latch yourself onto a college and just be like be their mascot I'm off gonna to the do side. That. Well, I did, I, I did, I did it with UMBC. I oh, that's that. right, that's right. And you have now the sign in the studio commemorating it. Yes, but you know what? I yeah, but they didn't they didn't ride it all the way to the, uh, yeah. To the final four. Yeah, so that's was, unfortunate. Uh, yeah, but I, you, you know what, Kurt, you're right. Now, how do I latch myself onto a team next year? Well, I got to pick a good team. Yeah. Right. And what do I do? I become like the the padre around it. What do I do? What, uh, yeah, what I, do I, I don't know. You like sit off. You sit off on the bench somewhere, and whenever like the CBS crew like needs a shot of someone celebrating, they go to they go to Stu Gatz over there on the side, and he's like sort of knowingly nodding. Like it, it's got to be it's got to be a college where you become <laughs> their you become their mascot. Okay, done. I'm on this. This is good. I'm, uh, I'm gonna. Right. Uh, uh, what, 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 what do you think? Eighty twenty. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Get me a business plan, COB today. All right, okay? COB. All right, fair enough. Uh, uh, if you get that Hank Goldberg Rolodex for me, and then and let's go. <laughs> if you give me the Rolodex, I'll go seventy-five twenty-five. Oh, perfect, perfect. I love it. All right, one more for you, uh, Meryl Streep. I mean, just overrated. I mean, just uh, unctuous, overrated, annoying. Uh, you know, the New Jersey State Hall of Fame. They had a big night set up for her recently. She didn't show up to that. She canceled last minute because of the court. She's Meryl Streep. She can do whatever she wants. I mean, there's something about her and Hollywood where, you know, they know everything. We don't know anything. And just the whole celebration of the Oscars to me is just, it's just annoying. Like, I, I don't know, something about that night, having all those, you know, fancy people and good-looking people in one room celebrating Hollywood, which we found out recently. Is there really that much to celebrate about Hollywood? It's a complete disaster. And so, um, I don't know. Something about her just kind of rubs me the wrong way. And the fact that I don't think she's a terribly good actor. Now, people will probably take issue with that. I don't really care. Uh, I watch movies. And, you know, I, for me, it's simple. Like, I watch a movie. Does Sylvester Stallone entertain me? You bet your ass he does. Does Meryl Streep? Nope, she doesn't. Sorry. Therefore, Stallone, better actor by far <laughs> than Meryl Streep. Go ahead. You guys tell me what. Go, go ahead. Give me the last entertaining Meryl Streep movie. Go ahead. And Ethan, if you say the post, I'm going to get upset here. Well, I haven't, I haven't seen the post yet. It's hard for me to watch because I remember what newspapers used to be. But now I'm going to watch it tonight, actually, because I. I okay, well, I'm telling you, it's hard for me to watch because Meryl Streep was in it. Okay, like that's why it was hard for me to watch. <laughs> we'll finish things off with two guys in a second, but first, a word from two of the other podcasts in the Five Reasons Podcast Network. Not that we're always right on the three yards per carry podcast, but we tend to have a pretty high batting average. It wouldn't surprise me if they pulled some sort of Stefan Anthony deal, you know, with a kind of a guy who's on the perimeter on the bubble of it, you know, giving up his uh, six-round pick or whatever. If I had to make a line, I would say Minka Fitzpatrick is a clear-cut favorite to be taken at 11. But I think number one overall is going to be Baker Mayfield with the Cleveland Browns. And I don't think that Rashad Penny's going to end up here because I think he's going to go in the first round. So a guy that they can get in third and beyond is Callan Ballage of Arizona State. On Saturday, Justify will win the Kentucky Derby. But wait, that's mostly me being right. Well, maybe Chris and Simon should get some editing software. So tune in every Thursday morning for the 3 Yards Per Carry podcast on the 5 Reasons Sports Network. Hello, this is Chris Joseph, co-host of The Bulls Cast. Some of you might have heard our earlier promos on this podcast and wondered, what in the holy shit is Balls Cast thing all about? Well, Balls Cast is a comedy podcast about Miami sports, culture, and politics, and sex, and food. You know, all the shit that matters to those of us who call the 305 home. We also throw in parody songs and comedy sketches and invite the occasional cool-ass guests and my co-host Slim and I do all of this while completely baked out of our gourds. So, if you love Miami sports, but you're also into laughing and living your fullest life in this beautiful city we call our home, then please download Ballscast wherever you consume your podcasts. Then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the crazy. You gotten home to Orlando yet? Uh, no, I'm about I'm about an hour away. I mean, it's <laughs> unbelievable. No, I drive three counties to work every day, man. It's it's crazy. Now, I, listen, I promised Dan when we started I wouldn't complain, and and I try. And he's gonna get mad at me. You're gonna hand this, aren't you? But I, I I promised him. Dan always makes a joke that he, hey, you knew for a year that we that we were taking the show down to South Beach, and yet you <laughs> you thought it'd be a smart thing to do to to move further away from our studios, and um. Yeah, but I, I told you guys, I think I told you this off air. I know I've said it on air. Uh, I'm going to move as far as my girls get older. I'm going to keep moving north because I'm terrified of that ultra fest down in Miami. <laughs> like my kids aren't going there, man. That's why that's the only reason I don't care. I'll drive three hours to work. It doesn't matter. My kids will never set foot at that concert ever. <laughs> never. They will never over my dead body. <laughs> All right, Stu Gatz, we, we appreciate the time, and uh, we're glad that we were able to uh, at least entertain you a bit during the very long commute back to Orlando, and uh, thanks again for doing it. 
All right, I'm happy for you guys. Ethan, you're never letting your daughter go to Ultrafest, are you ever? My daughter, we the other day we were we were out at about 7:30 at night, and there was music playing, and she says, "Daddy, she's she's three, she's about three and a half now." She goes, "Daddy, what's that?" And I said, "That's a nightclub." And she goes, "Daddy, I want to go to the nightclub." And I was like, "Okay, that's it. That's the end of it." <laughs> that 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 that's the end. Which which she told me the other day, Stu, that she wanted to wear a certain colored dress because a boy named Kingston Deli in her class likes this shade of blue. I'm like, oh, no. this, yeah. it's just, it's just, enjoy the innocence now, because I will tell you as a father of a 14 year old twin girls, I, I actually, this happened the other day where I busted one of my daughters having a conversation with a friend about how to obtain a fake ID. So enjoy what you have now. my friend. Oh no. <laughs> Both of these stories, they're 10 years apart. They're differing levels of innocence and they're mortifying to me. Well, this is the most yes, mortifying thing. Actually, I'll close with this, Stu. The Stu Gots is strong in my daughter. I hate to say that, but I've been having her record these promotional videos on Instagram for the five reasons. She calls it the five reasons of Podcast Network. And right. she told me the other day she would not do it without a raise. So I had to give her <laughs> I had to give her two quarters and get her ice cream, mango, chocolate, strawberry with sprinkles. Or else she says she's I says, Daddy, I don't want to do five reasons of podcast anymore. You have to give me more money. So there you go. I'm very proud of her. I am very, listen, that's a keeper right there. I am very, very proud of her. And now, listen, you put me on the phone with her because the next time, because the fans have grown to like her, right? The fans like her? Yes, of course. So now she has all the leverage. So every time you ask her to do something, it's got to be for more and more money. When when Sasha in six months from now is like, Daddy, COB, $30, you're going to be like, oh, no, the Stugats has gotten to her. (laughs) And Stu's going to take a cut of that, too, because of this conversation. So I'm going to end up having to pay him also. Yeah, so, so it's 80 her, 20 you, but <laughs> what you don't know is that 50 of her 80 is mine. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Ethan, would you ever allow me on the phone with her? I'm guessing the answer is no. There's no freaking – there's no – I'd rather her go spend the weekend with Kingston Deli somewhere. No, not happening. <laughs> Wait, Ethan, a weekend on the phone with me or a weekend at the Ultra Music Fest? Which one would you prefer? Ultra Music Fest. <laughs> Damn you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.